Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth, and families for collaboration, resourcing, and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward-thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus' way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast. My name is Dave Sinis, and I am joined by Catherine Moreska for this episode of the podcast. Catherine is the founder and the director of the Center for Children and Theology in Washington, D.C., and she is the author of a fantastic uh, book that came out last year called Violence and Nonviolence in Scripture, Helping Children Understand Challenging Stories. Catherine, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here too. <laughs> uh, so you have been a catechist um, and you have been a, a leader of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd for many years. And I know you use, you use that uh, resource and, and that approach more than mm-hmm. it's bigger than a resource um, for, for many years. Uh, and you're, you've relied on this in your book as well. So can you, can we start off by with you telling us a little bit about your background with this approach and and why you find it to be so powerful when you work with children? So I grew up, my mom started a Montessori school that I attended as a child. Uh, when I had my first two children, we started a Montessori school mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that our kids went to. And the difference between those two schools is that we had decided as a Christian community to have a Christian Montessori school. And the challenge immediately was, well, how do we offer our faith in a way that's compatible with the Montessori method? And the Montessori method is one where children are given materials. Uh, So in a sense, every abstract idea that we teach is incarnated in something they can touch and handle and then they learn from the material not from the teacher so the teacher shows them the material and how to use it and then they begin to learn with their hands yeah so now what real faith formation program you know offers the faith that way mm-hmm. so we were on that search and a catholic montessori teacher who i know threw a flyer at me and said if you if this is what you're doing go to this and in the catechesis of the good shepherd was a project of two women in Rome. They started in 1954. And in 1980, when I got that flyer, 1981, they hadn't even named it yet. They called it the experiment. The experiment was, what can children show us? You know, what will they teach us? How will they lead us in preparing faith formation? Yeah. So everything they learned during that experiment, which continued, was, you know, are the children showing us that this is fruitful for their life, that they have access to it, that it gives them joy, that it deepens their relationship with God. And uh, an important thing to me was that it was based on the Montessori method. One of the women was a Montessori uh, trainer, had actually worked with Maria Montessori herself. 
And the other one was a theologian, Sophia Cavalletti. So they had the theology and the methodology tied and that was exactly what we needed for our school. Wow. So, and, and it was just arriving in the US. We actually sponsored one of the first courses for catechists uh, in 1982. Um, but we, but we were able to sort of incorporate it into our school from the beginning. And it has been wonderful in, in many ways. One is that as an adult walking beside these children who are exploring their faith and then beginning to express it in art and words, it's just delightful <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, enriching to not, not to give them the formulation of the faith, but to let them find it. For themselves yeah. and then come up with something that you never would have thought of. so that's that's just always fun that's made it always fresh for me right um so that and, was a privilege another go ahead <laughs> oh i was gonna say there's a connection right between um catechesis of the good shepherd and god they play right i know god they play is more widely known especially in protestant circles yeah. but but correct me if i'm wrong but jerome berryman who started godly play he studied with sophia cavaletti didn't he or he, he studied, he studied he montessori he studied montessori over in italy and during that course spent some time with cavaletti he didn't actually take her, her course or you know learn oh, okay. all of her work. but he did yeah get familiar enough with it you know to okay. have something to bring back uh to his own work in the united states uh and he describes himself as sort of standing on the shoulders of Montessori and Cavaletti right. um, in, in godly play. They're, you know, like siblings. We know <laughs> right. each other too well. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I could do a good, healthy critique of the ways he did not stand on the shoulders of Sophia Cavaletti. But, right, right, um, right. But yeah, they are, <laughs> they are related. And I have, you know, attended conferences with Jerome where we were both speaking. Yeah. And one of them was one where everyone wanted to talk about the spirituality of the child, but not talk about religion. Mm. And, and it, you can imagine the difficulty they had in giving yeah. language to the spirituality of the child without using any religious language. And the only word they were comfortable with was angels. Mm. And so, so there, Jerome and I are shoulder to shoulder going, oh my gosh, what is this? You know? And so we <laughs> felt, I felt <laughs> very close to him at that moment. And he right. was very pastoral in his understanding of, you know, what that might have all been a right. reflection of, you know, so. So, so for listeners who are familiar with and, and, uh, and, and find value with godly play, there's definitely something to be said for checking out Catechesis, the Good Shepherd as well. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So um, I know you rely not only in examples and stories throughout the book, uh, you know, there, it's full of examples uh, and, and stories of, you know, oh, I was with a nine-year-old boy and he mm -hmm. said this about, I, I love this, the, 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 the stories you tell about the cross and the images of the cross mm -hmm. and it not being um, bloody and, you know, punitive, but it, it was a, it was when children drew crosses, they were hopeful. And you, you have hundreds of these cross pictures now yes, that you've collected over the years um, yeah. from children. So I love the fact that you, you incorporate so many of those stories from your, your decades of experience with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd mm. and, and that mm -hmm. approach. But it's also written with um, an undertone of, you know, encouraging people. Every chapter has a, you know, notes for catechists. Um, mm -hmm. And how I, I was struck by just how, um, how how deep 
uh, th- th- that foundation is to, to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but in terms of like the overall structure of the book, I was really struck by the two parts. You know, the, the, the first half deals with stories focused particularly on nonviolence. So the Good Shepherd, the Lost Pearl, things like that. And then the second half deals with more difficult stories that, that more explicitly involve violence in, in the Bible, like the Binding of Isaac and the Joseph story. Um, and I, I love that, you know, when I was looking through the table of contents before I read the book, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm surprised there's no uh, Noah's Ark covered. Um, but I love that you use the title of the, the commitment to nonviolence. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that, um, you know, that, that you included that with an alternate title because Noah's Ark is just, you know, like the quintessential nurse. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the right. nursery, biblical decor for nurseries. Um, mm-hmm. And yet it's an incredibly violent story. So, mm-hmm. so why does this order matter? Um, be, really, it's an order of starting with stories more from the New Testament and then going to stories from the, from the Hebrew Bible. Why is yeah. that the opposite order that it actually appears in our in our scriptures? Yeah. So Sophia Cavalletti started with a six year old little group, tiny group of six year old boys. Someone said, "Would you teach them, prepare them for communion?" I don't know something, you know. And she was a theologian, but she didn't hadn't worked with children, so she did. She, she was a Hebrew scripture scholar. So that's her mm. first love. So she opened to Genesis one. So she started that way, you know, right. But uh, her, her commitment to learning from children and starting with children at the age of three really drove the order in which um, the texts are offered. Right. So three-year-olds, weren't playing with an ark, you know, they weren't Mm -hmm. working with an ark, they weren't getting the theological content out of that, because it's moral, and they don't have the moral framework yet, that doesn't kick in until age six, so what, what can a child do with that, you know, Mm -hmm. if you respect the text, and don't just make it a toy, Mm -hmm. so, so little by little, she learned from children, okay, what are the texts, now there are also violent texts, in the New Testament, such as the slaughter of the innocents and the crucifixion itself, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, we offer, you know, in the first three years, we offer about uh, 16 texts. It's not okay. very many. And they tried many more. And so this is, this is the gold, the refined gold of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. These are the ones that were most life-giving, most fruitful for the children themselves so that really drove the choice now the other i the other thing i can say about that is we're christian and -hmm. the heart of the heart of being christian is jesus so we go straight there and we work out you know so we're not going to spend four years leading up to jesus and then say here he is you know you start with jesus (laughs) and then um work back you know into the context in which uh, from which he came. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's um, part of it. Yeah, it, I mean, throughout the book, and and you know, you and I've known each other for for a number of years. Um, throughout all of your work, there's such a deep respect that you have for the texts, and um, you know, in 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 your book, you have these different. I, 
I was struck by the different interpretations you have for some of these more more explicitly violent stories. And and you know, you're you're very clear in saying, well, I land on the idea that one way of reading the violence is that this is humanity's um, understanding of God evolving mm-hmm. over time mm-hmm. and gradually mm-hmm. opening ourselves up to a, a, a God of nonviolence and of love and peace. So you respect the text, but you also have a tremendous amount of respect for, for the children. Uh, children of all ages, you, you say, uh, and, and we both know, um, can approach biblical stories for themselves and make meaning for themselves and, and uh, come to their own interpretations of, of what a story, what a text means for them. One line that stands out from the book is, uh, as always with the parable method, let your, chil- let your introduction and questions open doors into possible areas of exploration, but let the children choose the door themselves and enjoy the discoveries therein. Can you explain uh, what this parable method is? Mm-hmm. And, and why it matters. Sure, sure. So this is, uh, this is one of my favorite articles of Sophia Cavalletti's, and mm-hmm. she says in it, it's called The Parable Method, that we're applying to a parable, which is an image, a story that Jesus gave, um, that projects, you know, sort of into the realm of the non-sensorial, you know, kingdom of God or presence of God. And so... She said, this is a, what, what we can say about parables, we can say about the whole Bible, and we can say about all our liturgical signs. So water, light, oil, you know, those, those things that also bring meaning into our right. religious life. So the parable method is really quite broad. And so uh, Jesus started with something known to the people in front of him, like mm-hmm. mustard. This mustard seed was a weed. <laughs> that you could right. hardly get rid of. It was like kudzu. You know? So uh, he, he would start with something well known to the people. And then he would say, this little thing is like the kingdom of God or like mm-hmm. uh, your relationship in the church or your relationship to me or, you know, so, or I am like, you know, the good shepherd. So there was some leap from the known to the unknown or the physical to the metaphysical. And she called those two elements. She says, every parable has those two elements and they're like railroad tracks that Mm -hmm. guide your meditation. So the discipline is stick with the known (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then let it keep informing the unknown or the, where you're making your leap into the metaphysical. And uh, she she then in this parable she has all these things like don't cut it short don't pick your favorite line <laughs> right don't don't emphasize one line over another one you know so she she really was saying just give the parable and let it go yeah. you know so when we offer the parable first of all i'm not talking to the same audience that jesus was so some of these things aren't known to children Mm-hmm. So you have to spend a little time making sure they're known in some way, you know, so right. if you're talking about a woman baking bread, what is, you know, what is yeast? What does it do? Some kids know this, some kids don't. Mm-hmm. So, so spend some time with that and then say, you know, then say, so Jesus said this yeast is like the kingdom of God. So what could that tell us about the kingdom of God? But not quite so broadly. You might say, you know, we talked about the yeast, uh, 
is kneaded into the bread to the mm. point where you can't see it anymore. Right. What does that tell us about the kingdom of God? You know, right. So, you know, so you're a little more specific. That's that's one door. But then here's another door. Who is that woman <laughs> that's kneading? Mm-hmm. You know, that's another door, you know, and then another door could be what gets what get what grows? Is it the yeast that grows or more right. than that? You know, that's another door, you know. So you sort of lay out some of these questions. Then we give them flour <laughs> and water mm-hmm. and yeast. They make it, they watch it, they see it grow and they open the door they want. Uh, yeah. you know, and for their own reflection. Yeah. So little three-year-olds, they like doing this kind of sensorial stuff. Uh, they're not ready to articulate the theology that they're getting from it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes their hands get the theology before their voices, if that makes any sense. So they'll mm-hmm. do something. <laughs> you can kind of see there's some theological implications here. They can't mm-hmm. even articulate yet. When they're six, they can articulate yeah. uh, a lot of what they've learned. And they'll begin to share not what they're thinking that day, but what is the fruit of a three-year meditation <laughs> on mm-hmm. the yeast. So I had a boy one time, he looked down at the yeast and he said, it's kind of like dying. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he said, yeah, this is... This is like before you die, we had two bowls, one had yeast and one didn't. And he pointed right. to the one that didn't. This is like before you die. And this is after you die. Wow. And he was looking at the risen dough. I could not have taught him that. I never had that idea in my head. You know, so this yeah. is what the parable method allows is for something new to emerge. Yeah. That you yeah. <laughs> and, and that's so like in a lot of ways, it's, it's, somewhat familiar in children's ministry in more mainstream children's ministry because you know any uh anyone who knows a little bit about developmental psychology knows that young children need as you said they need the physical they need the tactile they need the concrete um Mm -hmm. and so the you know an object lesson is a standard approach a standard practice in in children in teaching children but there's a tremendous it's nothing like what you're saying because often with an object lesson, there is a lesson and the object is there to explain what we are trying to teach. Yeah, exactly. And, and there, there is one door and we're all going to go through it together through the object. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and you're saying, you know, not only is there not just one door, there are many doors and the children are going to find them and open them for themselves. And our job is to, just really walk through it with them, Enjoy not it. guiding Enjoy them. It. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, um, w- you know, we're, we're what, eight months into the, the COVID 19 pandemic. So mm-hmm. a lot of parents are becoming catechists and becoming children's ministry leaders, um, right. you know, because they have to these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, what, what, in, in addition to actually picking up and reading the book, which our listeners should do, um, what would you recommend both for people who are leaders of a church, who are, who are practitioners in ministry and, mm-hmm. and formation with children, but also for parents and grandparents? What would you recommend for them, uh, who, people who want to help children wrestle with the stories of, of violence and nonviolence in our scriptures? 
well, <laughs> I, when I thought first thought about this question, I thought, my gosh, I never would have written this book if I had one to hold up that, <laughs> that did that. So, yeah, so yeah. what I can do is say, okay, this book helps with this part of it. So here's a book by Maria Montessori called Education and Peace. Okay. You know, that helped me value she, she, her, her respect for children is phenomenal. And what, what I got from this was if we treat children violently and, and she's not talking about beating them, but by right. taking away their agency to choose and to think yeah. for themselves, that is a kind of violence. And if we, if we treat them that way, then we spread violence. And if we, mm. if we treat them with respect, <laughs> true respect you know then we plant the seeds of peace so that was a huge insight um this is another one of my favorites of hers the secret of childhood and it's just so it's just such a joy to read about her Mm. view of young children um in all kinds of ways so this is kind of broad but i go back to it a lot that's sort of the methodology piece yeah that is really important not just uh, as a as a form of education, but really, um, when you're when you're talking about nonviolence, I think the way you teach nonviolence has to be nonviolent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right, right. <laughs> and I think and, we don't yeah. do that, you know, very yeah. well. Um, and so that mismatch is a, is a problem, you know, in help helping to sow the seeds of peace. And I think Montessori helps us a lot with that. Right. And I love that you expand the notion of violence, though, that it's not just, you know, mm-hmm. not physical violence. Well, nonviolent teaching is non-coercive teaching, right? Yes, we're not yeah. telling people what to what they need to think and what they need to know, but we're right. uh, equipping them to do the work um, for yeah. themselves. Yeah, she, she would say, you know, this is education for life. Yeah. And life is not a bunch of tests. It's, you know, making good decisions <laughs> throughout and, yeah. and knowing how to do that for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a piece that, yeah, it's very important. And then theologically, of course, we have, uh, you know, theologians who have wrestled really beautifully with um, the theology of nonviolence. Um, mm-hmm. My concern here is our image of God. Hmm. So at, if, if you're a Christian and you're going to say, I'm going to be a nonviolent Christian, and you carry with you the seeds of the God of the flood and the God of... Right the one that put the Egyptians into the, you know, Red Sea and, you know, cast the plagues, um, told Abraham to sacrifice his son, you know, then, then there's, there's not a really good foundation there. And, and so I'm, you know, there's a lot of work with children on nonviolence, uh, how to be a good friend, how to um, help, help each other how to be kind you know all of that language for that that's excellent practical work but mm-hmm. but i really want this foundation of what is our image of god and is it violent or nonviolent? and mm-hmm. working with kids really made me confront that because we were starting with jesus and of course the texts that were selected it's not every text as i said and yeah and really the most the violent the most violent thing we struggle with is the crucifixion so we say to three-year-olds, Christ has died, Christ has risen. And they hear that. They're not, they don't disbelieve it, but they're not really, the violence of it isn't really quite in their mm-hmm. face. 
And six-year-olds know more about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they begin to say, well, if Jesus was God, how could he have died? If he was yeah. good, why would anyone want him to die? You know, so they're asking the lot. They're not disbelieving, but they're really confronting. And, and, they, and that's why the, all those crosses that they drew was revelatory to me because they weren't drawing the suffering. They weren't drawing the violence of it. Yeah. They were drawing the resurrection on the cross. Mm-hmm. and um, connecting it to many, many good things. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that was how they worked with that and where they got with that. And then we go and start reading the Hebrew scriptures and we really wait till they're nine for some of these. And right. they're just like, they're just like shocked and in denial. They're like, that is not right. That God is mean, you know, it's not the God they knew. <laughs> Yeah, they know yeah. and they push back so hard and they come back with the same questions again and again and again and mm-hmm. and i thought boy if if they go away with this image of god you know and no way to um integrate it or hold it right um then they, then if they're really committed to the goodness of god mm-hmm. they walk away from this you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a hard. So so that was that was sort of what drove me to. We really have to do that. We really have to support them with this and give them the tools mm-hmm. they need. And Cavaletti was very wise to wait till they were nine because by then, um, developmentally, they have a kind of imagination. Yeah, that allows them to to experience something that they haven't uh, lived in. So in some way they can experience a desert, even though they've never been to one, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and a six-year-old or and child under six cannot do that. Yeah. So it's hard to set up the context in which some of these difficulties arise. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's difficult <laughs> for, for adults too. Like one of the things I'm yeah. finding in, in my work as a, a theological educator is is this equipping work, you know, if anything has prepared me to work with adults in the church right now, it's, uh, you know, a ton of experience in working with children <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, essentially, you know, biblical uh, and theological literacy is, is huge in the church. And mm-hmm. there's this sense that, oh, well, we just need to give people the Bible, but there's a particular view of the Bible that is being advocated here. And and, and if, if I may just liken it to, you know, some people say, well, the Bible is not this, you know, it's not a book. It's actually a library of texts. Yes. Yes. And it's mm-hmm. essentially like when a new student comes into, into our university library, they're, they're not mm-hmm. just going to go right up and start looking at books. It's, well, well where, how do I search for what I'm looking for? And how do I use keywords? And, and our librarians mm-hmm. give them the tools so that they yeah. can find the text. And when they find the text, they don't pull it off the wall and then realize, oh, this is someone else's interpretation of the text. When you give mm-hmm. the text, it is, you're giving them scripture. And, and mm-hmm. there's so many tips, uh, well, I shouldn't say tips, there's so many practices in your, in, in your book, Violence and Nonviolence in Scripture, that make me um, kind of rethink how we deal or, or how we read the Bible, not just with, with young children, with nine, mm-hmm. 10 year old children as well, but also with teenagers and adults, um, like mm-hmm. the practice of, of, you know, some of the longer stories you say, stop after every paragraph, read the text, don't mm-hmm. emphasize your favorite parts, 
stop after mm -hmm. every paragraph and ask mm -hmm. the, the group to say it in, like to retell the story in their own words mm -hmm. and that you know I, I i've heard that you know at the end of, mm -hmm. of a story so let's retell the story in our own words that's a great practice mm -hmm. but I'm really um, intrigued by this idea of pausing after each paragraph and, mm -hmm. and kind of breaking that practice down and integrating it to the, through the whole thing so that you're not getting to the end and, and saying, well, I remember that at, at some point, yeah, at some point his brothers <laughs> sell him to someone, but I don't, mm -hmm. and, and then, and then he saves Egypt. <laughs> right. Right. So. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, how many times have you been to a liturgy and they read the gospel and then you sit down for the homily and you're like, what was that gospel? What did they just read? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hear it. Right. And what happens is one word takes us away on yeah. a trip, you know, and, and that's human. Well, of course, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds, even reading the text, some of them are just working hard to read it. Yeah. To, you know, in the, in the language in the Bible isn't that simple. <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. they're, they're, uh, they're struggling to read it. And so if you just keep going, they'll just keep struggling to read it, but they will never have had a chance to say what actually happened there. So that's one of the reasons I make them pause. Right. But I just remember the first time I read the story of Abraham and Sarai going to Egypt with a bunch of women who were preparing to be catechists. And uh -huh. he's like, just pretend you're my sister, you know? And the women in the room are like, what? <laughs> they were shocked. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, but yeah, there are some very surprising turns of events that don't get into the lectionary and people mm -hmm. don't really know the story. But when you read that story of Abraham and Sarah and see how shocking it is at the beginning, you begin to realize that Abraham grew in his relationship with God. It wasn't just yeah. like he looked faithful the first day. He was a nomad. Of course he went on a trip, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it, you know, it was a lot more than that, his relationship with God that, that grew and grew and grew. Mm -hmm. And yeah. his understanding. Yeah. yeah. Well I I am grateful for uh, for, for our relationship. I'm grateful for your relationship with scripture and children and opening that up to us today. Um, if, if you want to learn more, and I hope you do, you should pick up violence and nonviolence in scripture, helping children understand challenging stories. Catherine, thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. You're so welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Forward podcast series. If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net.